Chapter Ten of Travels with a Donkey in the Cévennes by Robert Louis Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patrick Wallace. A Night Among the Pines. From Blémar, after dinner, although it was already late, I set out to scale a portion of the Lozère. An ill-marked, stony drove-road guided me forward, and I met nearly half a dozen bullock-carts descending from the woods, each laden with a whole pine-tree for the winter's firing. At the top of the woods, which do not climb very high upon this cold ridge, I struck leftward by a path among the pines, until I hit on a dell of green turf, where a streamlet made a little spout over some stones to serve me for a water-tap. In a more sacred or sequestered bower, nor nymph nor faunus haunted. The trees were not old, but they grew thickly round the glade. There was no outlook, except north-eastward upon distant hilltops, or straight upward to the sky, and the encampment felt secure and private like a room. By the time I had made my arrangements and fed Modestine, the day was already beginning to decline. I buckled myself to the knees into my sack, and made a hearty meal, and as soon as the sun went down I pulled my cap over my eyes and fell asleep. Night is a dead, monotonous period under a roof, but in the open world it passes lightly with its stars and dews and perfumes, and the hours are marked by changes in the face of nature. What seems a kind of temporal death to people choked between walls and curtains is only a light and living slumber to the man who sleeps afield. All night long he can hear nature breathing deeply and freely. Even as she takes her rest, she turns and smiles. And there is one stirring hour, unknown to those who dwell in houses, when a wakeful influence goes abroad over the sleeping hemisphere, and all the outdoor world are on their feet. It is then that the cock first crows, not this time to announce the dawn, but like a cheerful watchman speeding the course of night. Cattle awake on the meadows, sheep break their fast on dewy hillsides, and change to a new lair among the ferns. And houseless men, who have lain down with the fowls, open their dim eyes and behold the beauty of the night. At what inaudible summons, at what gentle touch of nature, are all these sleepers thus recalled in the same hour to life? Do the stars rain down an influence, or do we share some thrill of Mother Earth below our resting bodies? Even shepherds and old country folk, who are the deepest read in these arcana, have not a guess as to the means or purpose of this nightly resurrection. Towards two in the morning, they declare the thing takes place, and neither know nor inquire further. And at least it is a pleasant incident. We are disturbed in our slumber only, like the luxurious Montaigne, that we may the better and more sensibly relish it. We have a moment to look up on the stars, and there is a special pleasure for some minds in the reflection that we share the impulse with all outdoor creatures in our neighbourhood that we have escaped out of the Bastille of civilization, and have become, for the time being, a mere kindly animal, and a sheep of nature's flock. When that hour came to me among the pines, I wakened thirsty. My tin was standing by me, half full of water. I emptied it at a draught, 
and feeling broad awake after this internal cold aspersion, sat upright to make a cigarette. The stars were clear, coloured, and jewel-like, but not frosty. A faint silvery vapour stood for the Milky Way. All around me the black fir-points stood upright and stock-still. By the whiteness of the pack-saddle I could see Modestine walking round and round at the length of her tether. I could hear her steadily munching at the sward. But there was not another sound, save the indescribable quiet talk of the runnel over the stones. I lay lazily smoking and studying the colour of the sky, as we call the void of space, from where it showed a reddish-grey behind the pines to where it showed a glossy blue-black between the stars. As if to be more like a peddler, I wear a silver ring. This I could see faintly shining as I raised or lowered the cigarette, and at each whiff the inside of my hand was illuminated and became for a second the highest light in the landscape. A faint wind, more like a moving coolness than a stream of air, passed down the glade from time to time, so that even in my great chamber the air was being renewed all night long. I thought with horror of the inn at Chassardès and the congregated nightcaps, with horror of the nocturnal prowesses of clerks and students, of hot theatres and pass-keys and close rooms. I have not often enjoyed a more serene possession of myself nor felt more independent of material aids. The outer world from which we cower into our houses seemed after all a gentle, habitable place, and night after night a man's bed, it seemed, was laid and waiting for him in the fields, where God keeps an open house. I thought I had rediscovered one of those truths which are revealed to savages and hid from political economists. At the least I had discovered a new pleasure for myself, and yet even while I was exulting in my solitude, I became aware of a strange lack. I wished a companion to lie near me in the starlight, silent and not moving, but ever within touch. For there is a fellowship more quiet even than solitude, and which, rightly understood, is solitude made perfect. And to live out of doors with the woman a man loves is of all lives the most complete and free. As I thus lay between content and longing, a faint noise stole towards me through the pines. I thought at first it was the crowing of cocks or the barking of dogs at some very distant farm, but steadily and gradually it took articulate shape in my ears, until I became aware that a passenger was going by upon the high road in the valley, and singing loudly as he went. There was more of good will than grace in his performance, but he trolled with ample lungs, and the sound of his voice took hold upon the hillside and set the air shaking in the leafy glens. I have heard people passing by night in sleeping cities. Some of them sang. One, I remember, played loudly on the bagpipes. I have heard the rattle of a cart or carriage spring up suddenly after hours of stillness and pass for some minutes within the range of my hearing as I lay abed. There is a romance about all who are abroad in the black hours, and with something of a thrill we try to guess their business. But here the romance was double. First this glad passenger lit internally with wine, who sent up his voice in music through the night. And then I, on the other hand, buckled into my sack, and smoking alone in the pine woods, between four and five thousand feet towards the stars. When I awoke again, Sunday 29th September, 
many of the stars had disappeared. Only the stronger companions of the night still burned visibly overhead, and away towards the east I saw a faint haze of light upon the horizon, such as had been the Milky Way when I was last awake. Day was at hand. I lit my lantern, and by its glow-worm light put on my boots and gaiters. Then I broke up some bread for Modestine, filled my can at the water-tap, and lit my spirit-lamp to boil myself some chocolate. The blue darkness lay long in the glade where I had so sweetly slumbered, but soon there was a broad streak of orange melting into gold along the mountain-tops of Vivarais. A solemn glee possessed my mind at this gradual and lovely coming in of day. I heard the runnel with delight. I looked round me for something beautiful and unexpected, but the still black pine-trees, the hollow glade, the munching ass, remained unchanged in figure. Nothing had altered but the light, and that indeed shed over all a spirit of life and of breathing peace, and moved me to a strange exhilaration. I drank my water-chocolate, which was hot if it was not rich, and strolled here and there and up and down about the glade. While I was thus delaying, a gush of steady wind as long as a heavy sigh poured direct out of the quarter of the morning. It was cold and set me sneezing. The trees near at hand tossed their black plumes in its passage, and I could see the thin distant spires of pine along the edge of the hill rock slightly to and fro against the golden east. Ten minutes later the sunlight spread at a gallop along the hillside, scattering shadows and sparkles, and the day had come completely. I hastened to prepare my pack and tackle the steep ascent that lay before me. But I had something on my mind. It was only a fancy, yet a fancy will sometimes be importunate. I had been most hospitably received and punctually served in my green caravanserai. The room was airy, the water excellent, and the dawn had called me to a moment. I say nothing of the tapestries or the inimitable ceiling, nor yet of the view which I commanded from the windows. But I felt I was in someone's debt for all this liberal entertainment. And so it pleased me, in a half-laughing way, to leave pieces of money on the turf as I went along, until I had left enough for my night's lodging. I trust they did not fall to some rich and churlish drover. End of chapter 10